but to love her and honor her. And that hit home. So with a humble attitude of heart, I went to my mother and asked her to forgive me. And in the future, I would try to be a respectful, loving son. You know, my mother's faults didn't go away. (laughs) But my critical spirit towards her did. And I began to put into practice, like I said, in my mid-30s, honoring your mother and your father. Honoring our parents has a promise that our days will be long. Want a long life? Honor your parents. A few weeks back, we had Che speak, Che Adi. And on that Sunday morning, Che was faithful to honor his parents and to speak of the benefits of a Christian home. And I was totally blessed as as I listened to Che's uh, CD of the Sunday morning service. And he was a product of a Christian home, and he just reflected what great parents that he had. He was honoring his mother and father. And that's good when our children do that. It was good for me to do that with my mom. Verse 13, you shall not murder. The deliberate taking of another human life is inconceivable in my own mind. To me, that is offensive, and I'm sure it is to you too. It's offensive to our conscience to take another human life. In all societies, murder is wrong. ISIS, they've been in the news of late, Their beheading of news reporters brings a strong emotional reaction to the free world, to the entire free world, that people would deliberately execute, you know, uh, a news reporter. And we recoil. We, we, We just get up in arms over that kind of barbaric behavior. And these beheadings bring about really a change in our foreign policy, a national response cries out, do something, America. And we call upon as as citizens to all the powers that are to be, do something about these murderers. ISIS has succeeded in shocking the world with these execution type murders. And it has influenced our foreign policy. Now we, we're, we're going to do something about it, hopefully. And we're all looking for justice against these murderers. When a person is murdered, it stirs something deep within us like nothing else. But how about hatred? <laughs> and you probably know where I'm going with this. Jesus tells us in John 8:44, Satan was a murderer from the beginning. So murder beginning 
has its beginning in the heart. Hatred and wanting to do someone harm is the origin of murder. In Matthew 5, Jesus talking, and he's, he reduces murder to just being angry towards a brother, a fellow man, without a cause. Boy, that brings it close to home. Putting a person in danger, those that are angry without a cause, of eternal judgment. Sometimes I wonder if we truly believe these uh, words of Jesus because we put so much emphasis on the actual deed and not on our heart. But murder is taking the life of one of God's created beings. And it's in a personal affront to God who has made man in his image. In Genesis 4, you may want to turn there. We'll talk about Cain here for a little bit. We have the first murder. Cain and Abel, they bring their offerings to God. God accepts Abel's offering, but he doesn't accept Cain's offering. So let me read you verses 5 through 10 of Genesis 4. But God did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain is angry at God. But God, uh, but Cain can't display his anger against God. He has no way to really do that. So Cain substitutes his brother as his object of hate. Cain, if there would have been any way possible, would have killed God. He's mad at God. God did not accept his offering. And Cain is in danger here. And God tells Cain, sin lies at your door, Cain, and its desire is for you. I.e., sin's desire is to destroy you, Cain. Now think for a moment. Cain is warned by God himself. God speaks to Cain. Do not commit this sin that you are considering. And in between verses 7 and 8, there is a period of time, and I think it's a period of time for Cain to reflect, a time for Cain to think about what God has said to him, and a time for him to think about what he is planning on doing. 
verse 8. Cain and Abel are out in the field. Cain raises up against Abel and he kills him. God asks Cain, where is Abel, your brother? I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, you are, Cain, <laughs> to answer that directly, especially since you have just killed him. And then we read of a truth here that I believe is overlooked by anyone who commits murder. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Is that not heavy? I personally believe there's no such thing as a perfect murder. God knows, God sees, God hears when a victim's blood is shed. Showing how murder is against God. When King David, and you know the story of King David and Uriah and Bathsheba and all that. When King David murdered Uriah, the prophet Nathaniel had to tell David God had forgiven him. Why did Nathaniel have to tell David? Because there is no sacrifice in the law that allows you forgiveness of murder. There was no... That's why God sent the prophet to David. Go tell David I've forgiven him. Notice God hears the cry of any person murdered because their blood cries out to him. And if anyone gets away with murder in this life, and I'm sure there's those that feel they have, there remains the eternal judgment that will come from God in the next life. You don't get away with murder. Murder is very offensive to God. And murder is a sin that only Jesus Christ can forgive. On the cross, Jesus shed his own blood for any and all sins, even murder. In verse 14 of Exodus 20, then we read, you shall not commit adultery. Now, we would think that these are basic rules, commands given by God, that we would naturally want to obey. But adultery, I believe, is the greatest betrayal of trust that can go on in a marriage. It is easier emotionally to lose a spouse to death than to have them commit adultery and reject you by sexual unfaithfulness. That is hard to accept. But you know, adultery is so commonplace in our society that it sometimes appears an accepted way of life. In the Old Testament, 
God accuses Israel of committing adultery against him. The accusation by God is you are worshiping idols. You are worshiping other gods, and I look upon that as adultery to me. You are my people, and you're hurting me. Adultery is one, the only sin I know of, that can become grounds for divorce that God hates. God says, I hate divorce. But yet, God allows divorce if your mate has committed adultery against you. Wow, that tells us how much God resents adultery. When Jesus was teaching his Sermon on the Mount, he told the people how offensive adultery was to God. Now I want you to consider our God looks upon the heart and he judges the heart. Have you ever been totally disappointed in someone's behavior? They commit some sin. They totally offend our sense of right and wrong. And they literally destroy the trust that is built up in a relationship, whether it be a friend or whether it be your spouse or whatever. But understand this. Jesus is never shocked or surprised by our sin. We never surprise him with our sin. He bore all of our sins on the cross, meaning he experienced the guilt of our sins on the cross. And the only time we read of Jesus being amazed in the New Testament is he is amazed by the faith of the centurion, the Gentile centurion who wanted Jesus to heal his servant girl. This centurion said to Jesus, just say the word and my servant girl will be healed. And she was, and Jesus was amazed at the faith of this centurion. But the reason we do not surprise Jesus with our sin is he looks upon our heart. He sees the intent of our heart. He sees us planning sin before we sin, and it doesn't surprise him. Matthew 5, 27 and 28, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman and lusts for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart right where Jesus sees. All sin is first and foremost against God, our maker. And church can bring about us putting up a self-righteous facade in front of everybody. <laughs> and our true motives and our true intent we try to disguise our evil behavior we don't want anyone to know about but Jesus sees the heart 
He knows us. He knows our propensity to sin. But while we're talking about adultery, let me, let me say this. Pornography is nothing more than adultery in the heart. That's all it is. It's adultery in the heart. And adultery of the heart looks for ways to satisfy its desires. Therefore, we commit to adultery. Now, commit is a strange, not strange, but it's a different word to use when we talk about sinning. Commit means you plan it. You commit adultery. You plan it. If you're going to commit adultery, you've got to make plans to do so. Or you've got to premeditate your adultery. Adultery is not a surprise sin. It's a planned sin. That's why Paul wrote, he says, take every thought captive. Don't even let it enter your mind. Because if you dwell on lusting and you dedicate yourself to lusting, guess what? Sooner or later, you will commit adultery. So the solution, repent. <laughs> repent of lusting. Repent of pornography before it involves another person. Now, it's bad enough that you're doing it, but before it spreads and before it involves a third party, repent of lust. Adultery of the heart is between you and God, and there's no third party involved. But sin gets real messy when we involve that third person. I know that I am capable of adultery. And I know that I'm capable of any other sin without God's protection. So I pray, and I pray this on a constant basis, Lord, today, lead me not into temptation. Because I know if the right circumstances and the right events come up, I am capable of committing any sin. So I pray God protect me. You know, when I'm thinking straight, I don't want to shame myself. I don't want to hurt the ones I love. I don't want to bring shame on my family, this church, or anything else. And so I pray, God, keep me from temptation. Adultery, easy for me to say, adultery. <laughs> the wounds and the scars of adultery need not be. If we would take temptation, if we would take lusting when it first begins and then say, hey God, help me here. You know my thought patterns. They're not right. Lead me into righteousness. Help me take these thoughts captive. And God is faithful. He will. Adultery, the scars of it, can ruin families, and it has ruined families. Know this, all adultery and lusting 
will be exposed. It's just a matter of time. So when we read Jesus' words, if we look upon another person with lust, and that's adultery, that should make us cry out for God's help. It really should. It should force us to the feet of Jesus, begging for mercy. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a young maiden. What a good thing. Don't even look upon it. Because if you look upon it, then your mind begins to play with it. Don't play with lusting. Flee from the trap of lusting. And if you need to repent, repent. My goodness, we are allowed to repent and turn away from sexual sin. So don't let it have its origin anywhere in your life. I think the great sin of America is its promiscuity, without a doubt. It's all around us. You know it. You deal with it just like everybody in our, in our society does. So flee from lusting, guard your heart. And pray that God would not lead you into temptation. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, I pray that we would be wise concerning the evilness around us. Lord, help us. Give us a pure heart. Give us a pure mind. Let us be pure before you, Lord. Let us seek after righteousness. Let us cry out for your help of not leading us into temptation, Lord. Help us, Lord. For we know we need help. We know that given the right circumstances, we fail, we fall, we sin. So keep evil away from our door, Lord. And keep our eyes and heart stayed upon you. You are faithful to help us if we would simply ask. And we're asking, Lord. We don't want to shame ourselves. We don't want to shame our family. So keep us from sin. Especially the lusting, murdering. And help us to honor our parents. We pray for this, Lord, and we ask it. In your name, Jesus. Amen.